Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Got to talk about yesterday. We're live, fellas. Save all that quality content up for right now. You can say it. <laughs> That's right. What's happening? How's Flow Rider? People, people hear this in 10 days unless they get less lazy and tune in live. Miss all Carve the good out stuff. time for us. We're making time for you. We did advertise it as after hours, and here we are, like well and truly, it's lunchtime on a Tuesday. That's... It's ten thirty a.m. Pacific, one thirty p.m. Eastern, uh, five thirty Universal Coordinated Time. Uh, so if you want to tune in live, you just got to head on over to the YouTube channel, and you can look at it live, or you can see it immediately after it goes up. Uh, the audio comes out a little bit delayed because we need to get a transcript and a few other things done. Um, that was kind of super relevant when we were going through the, the wild drawdown, but it's become less so. Hey, we got some fellas yeah. in. I always like to hear where everybody's from, so uh, it embarrasses my co-host, but I enjoy it. I like seeing it after. I like to see it when I watch it back. We're global, baby! <laughs> What's happening, fellas? Not much, man. Your video feeds off, though. You're on a little delay. Really? Yeah. Uh, you just said "really" in my in my face. Really? Sorry. But that's okay. It's all good. Maybe it'll figure itself out. No, things are good, man. Moderna notice, or uh, you know, they announced that the world's going to be fine tomorrow, and uh, one point five billion dollar capital raise right after that. Yeah. Gee, cynical. Bit odd. Bit they, odd. They moved the whole market with that. 1.5 so preliminary results on like four people out of 15 or something like that maybe it was more than that i don't know exactly but basically it's nobody it's like randomness they're like yeah we got the cure whole market rallies that thing goes bananas then they say yeah and we need 1.5 billion dollars thanks for playing that's a pump and dump maybe they got it i don't know but i'd be careful with that one yeah what was the i saw i don't know if this is true but that they've how, they've been around for a long time and have never actually brought anything to market. But now everyone's like, well, they're in the business of selling stock, me. baby. Uh, well, well right it, does, do it. it does indicate that we are at a point right now where the market does want to go up, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and they're willing to buy whatever rumor. Now, whether or not there's a heartbreaker and that changes everything, that's fine. But sentiment right now, to me, skews quickly bullish. Yeah, I remember that. It's security analysis. What, what chapter was that again? Yeah, what, just <laughs> chapter 69? I don't know. That's, what was yeah, that's in, the, that's in the 7th edition that's coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yearly Every, comment, boys. Pandemic pump and dump. That was, uh, <laughs> that was in the footnotes. Do you uh, do you want to do the uh, intro, Jake? Is it? I think it's your turn. I did it last week. Oh, did you? Bill's turn. Bill, sorry, Bill. Yeah. Sorry, brother. Welcome to Value After Hours. This is Bill Brewster with my co-hosts Toby Carlisle and Jake Taylor. Uh, Toby, what are you going to be talking about today? 
Yeah, so I did some uh, writing over the weekend. After I read Cliff's piece, I uh, got a little bit inspired. wanted to go and verify that the data was as he reported. And the two questions that everybody had after Cliff's piece came out, um, which was excellent, by the way, was, aren't we only measuring the spread here, which is relevant for long, short guys like me, partially, but also I've got a long portfolio as well. So is value undervalued? Um, so I went and looked at the long leg of value specifically. And the other question is, are these companies that are in the value portfolios more levered than they have been in the past? And so I just used my two favorite metrics, EV EBITDA, EV EBIT, uh, to answer that question. So I'll be talking about that. Are we just doing this whole segment right now or what? No, dude, he's dude. just introducing it. I, I got 5,000 5, words Jeez. plus commentary. God. Jake, it's my intro. Jeez. Also, they should be more levered. Lower debt service coverage reduces your whack. Higher EV. Let's go. There All right, go. efficient markets. Uh, Jake, what's yours? I'm going to be talking about uh, the complete opposite of that. No. Uh, <laughs> what the Winchester Mystery House can teach us about economics. I like that one. That is a mystery. And yes. I will be talking about uh, how I'm positioned right now. Some people have thought that I'm Fetal. a little bit <laughs> No, no, I'm fine. But people are talking. Some people think in I'm a little more closet. bearish than I lean. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm officially in the closet, uh, and uh, I'll be coming out soon. So, all right, <laughs> right now. Yeah, I wish After I could this. play that intro music here. Uh, I just want the outro on loop, man. Yeah, shit is hot. It's sweet. Maybe, in my vein. maybe I'll just put up some clips of us with the whole song. It's pretty good. Grace Misa, how we do it for everybody do who doesn't TikTok. know. Oh Christ! I don't know. I don't know that that's really where we want to go with this. <laughs> We're not really omni-channel. We're mostly just, uh, you know, we got right. a niche here. But you're in charge of the TikTok's Instagram account so hot right now. TikTok. No, I'm good. Uh, Toby, why don't you go first? All right. Uh, so I, I. I wrote it for, it's up on the Acquirer's multiple website. I'll link to it in the show notes to this uh, straight after we record it. Um, I called it, is value a value trap? Because the, I, I don't know, everybody's got a different definition of a value trap. But I think my definition of a value trap is something that keeps on going down uh, in terms of the price. And every time you go to look at it, the intrinsic value is down too, but the price is still discounted to the intrinsic value. And so you feel like you shouldn't be selling it because it's still, it's still cheap. And it kind of just keeps on doing that until all your money's gone. So I looked at value. And uh, so that's the question that I have. Is, uh, is value just kind of a melting ice cube? Is it that these portfolios are just getting junkier and junkier and uh, we're reforming uh, at a lower point every time, but they're worse portfolios, and so you don't want to hold them at all. So Cliff's piece was really good in digging into: Are these unusually bad portfolios? Is there like the return on assets question? So they're not worse in, in they're no worse than they usually are over the full data set. Are they more levered? So his analysis uh, left a few guys asking: Like, does this satisfy the? Does this satisfy that answer? So I took a look at that uh, in the context of EV EBITDA and EV EBIT. So what I did, I pulled the data off the visual factors page on the Alpha Architect site, which runs each of the metrics, um, price to cash flow, price to earnings, price to book, uh, EV EBITDA, EV EBIT, over 
the data set back to 1992, which is a good one because that's modern history where, uh, you know, people say, well, it's not what happened in 1940 is not relevant. What happened in 1960 is not relevant. But 1992 to date is sort of, I think it's like a long enough data series to give you some sort of idea what's going on. But it's mostly modern history. Like it's mostly it internet age. the last time that value worked? <laughs> no, it's worked a few times in that period. But, but that's a fair okay. question. Not much over the last... Uh, 30 years, basically. Basically, it's underperformed 70 to 80% of the time over the last 30 years, even though it's outperformed over the full data set. That's, that's weird. Get your head around that one. 70 to 80% of the time, it's in a drawdown, but you still win over the whole thing. That tells you something about value, and that tells you why it's so hard to, to hold on to it. And I mentioned that in the piece. But basically, what I did to work out whether these things are cheap or expensive, you know, it's hard. Do you, do you adjust it by interest rates? Do you adjust it by other things? I don't know. So what I did was I just ran them back against their own averages. So where, you know, if a P is 10 today and it's traditionally a P5, you would say that's twice as expensive. So that would not be a good opportunity for value. If it's usually 10 and it's currently 5, then it's, it's a better opportunity than it usually is. Value is cheap. So I looked across every single one of the data sets. Uh, in every single instance, value is uh, above average opportunity. It's rich to its mean, which means it's a good opportunity. And in two of them, so price to book value is about 65% rich, which is about as high as it's ever been. The only time it's been higher was March 31. So this, this data goes to April 30, month end. The only time it's higher was March 31, which makes sense. We've bounced a little bit off the low. That's true also for price to earnings. The only one that doesn't look great is price to cash flow, which is about 5% rich. But that's still better than like two-thirds of the time. So one-third of the time, it's been better value. It's hard to know which of those metrics you want to lean on hardest. So I just took a, an equal weight average of all of them, and I call it the combo and I stuck that together. And so basically the combo says, if you're just equal weighting each of those metrics, the combo says we're about 35.5% rich to the long run average. And the only times that it's been a better opportunity than this, there are six month ends out of 340 through that whole data set. There are five right at the very peak of the dot-com bubble. And there's one March 31 a month ago. So I would say that value is a very good opportunity right now. The question about whether the um, the portfolios are unusually levered or not, I think is answered by EV EBIT and EV EBITDA. So EV EBITDA is about 25% rich and it's like there are 4% of occasions, which is about 10 months that were better than this. And they're all like 2,000. EV EBIT there are, there are a couple more. It's in about the 10% of opportunities, but they're all clustered around the 2000 peak and the 2007 peak. So I think on, on just about any metric, value looks very, very cheap to me. And across all of them, it looks cheap. The portfolios aren't unusually levered. And uh, the, the main takeaway for me, which I found really surprising, was that value has underperformed 70 to 80% of, of opportunities over the last 30 years and still outperformed over the full data set. So that's interesting. Yeah, frequency versus magnitude. Exactly right. So good luck trying to time that and not catch and missing out on it. That's right. Like you really have to be invested in it to kind of 
to kind of uh, to capture those returns, you have to know that you know they really do come about in, infrequently, and when they come about, they're so big that if you miss them, then you miss out on all of the value of value, all of the outperformance of value. That makes sense. I mean, it, like it probably Dunn. shouldn't be easy. It's a What's baseball that reference. I said it's like Adam Dunn, right? Strikes out a lot, but when he hits, it's out of the park. Walks a lot too, but anyway, it doesn't matter. One of the other interesting things, so I, I pulled in a whole lot of research from, I looked at some OSAM research. I looked at AQR research. I looked at Corey Hofstein, had this piece on why book value looks so busted and whether you can discount that or not. The OSAM piece on on unpacking the problems with book value, which I thought was pretty interesting. I think there's an OSAM piece that was really interesting that they call uh, factors from scratch where they look at what drives value, what drives growth. So when you form a, a value portfolio, they tend to be subnormal profitability and the profitability tends to fall over the course of the time that you hold the portfolio. And then when you rebalance, you rebalance into a cheaper portfolio. So it has this sawtooth where your earnings are falling while you're holding it. And all of the gain from value comes from multiple re-rating. And the way that you can think about that is these are already subnormally cheap portfolios. People oversell them because they don't want to be in something that's falling and, and subnormally profitable, but they overestimate how bad they are. So that's the way it works. For growth, it's the opposite. The, the earnings of growth portfolios do go up. It's just that we tend to overpay. The difference has been over the last 10 years or so. So depending on when you start the underperformance, it starts in about 2000 and, uh, 2006 for uh, price to earnings and like 2014 for price to cash flow. Um, basically, that multiple expansion and compression has gone away. So uh, growth has seen the multiple expansion in addition to rising earnings, growth has seen multiple compression in addition to falling earnings. And uh, that has driven the, the, the alligator jaws really wide. And so now value is, is unusually cheap. Growth is unusually expensive. Typically what happens when that occurs is you get some reversion to the mean and you get some value outperformance. When the spread is really tight, and uh, Jake pointed this out in 2014, so Kudos to Jake for, for calling this one. He said the opportunity in 2014 based on dispersion was the worst in 25 years. And he was dead right. It's been a terrible run for long short value and for the long only leg. It's the reverse now. The spread is very, very wide. It's probably likely that we see some reasonable outperformance. I wish I would have been smarter of knowing how to benefit from Should that. Should have traded it, right? I guess. <laughs> hey, thanks for the super chat. Jason, is, is six years a trade or is that a, a medium term investment strategy? Yeah, well, you, that's like forever now, right? You could have been a you could yeah. have been a growthy legend at that stage if you'd put it on and like bought a whole lot of expensive quality companies, you would have done very well. But now's not the time. Next time. <laughs> that ship sailed. <laughs> now the opportunities in value, I mean it's great. Yeah, I missed it though. I didn't understand. I didn't understand this stuff in 2014. Even though you'd been telling me, JT, I should have listened to you. Should have thought about what it meant. I don't know, man. I, like I said, knowing doesn't mean being able to execute anything. Yeah, I'm not going to make that it. mistake again. The right <laughs> trade now is value. The right trade at some stage in the future will be growth. It's not now. All right. I, I don't think, know where I fit in the style box. 
Mm. Well, you don't, you don't have to. Is the style closet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Jake, I mean, what you said, uh, I, I was thinking about this earlier, the, the difference between knowing what something is going to be and like living it. Um, I forget how you phrased it, but you triggered the thought uh, that I had. I mean, like, yeah, man. I mean, just like knowing what this lockdown would would be like, right? And reading about it. And this is what you're going to go through. And now like actually experiencing it, it is just two totally different worlds, you know, like theoretically understanding something and then experiencing it. I, I did not think that, uh, I don't know. The lockdown would be like it is. Pretty much. And, and Mark... I think. What? There was a, there was a... Mark Twain. Uh, sorry, to, sorry. It was like carrying a cat home by the tail. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn about it, but it's nothing like experiencing it. There's there's yeah. a comment on our on our channel from Patrick Rossi who said, uh, "Make sure you uh, get a haircut before you go in. The food's going to come back. Don't stockpile toilet paper. Make sure you get a haircut." And I read that and I was like, "That's probably good advice." And I said to my wife, "What do you think about me getting a haircut before we go into this?" And she said, "Oh, that's one of the things that they say you most that you're at risk of catching it." So it was too 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 late for me. But I appreciate the I appreciate the commentary, Patrick. Uh, if you've got any more tips, I'm gonna grow this out now. You look I don't great, think mate. I'm gonna get many Everybody looks better with long hair. Like this again. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's getting there. <laughs> now you're talking I, your but own book. I figure, screw it. Let's go three, four more inches and try. <laughs> On the hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, like, dude, you keep bringing it up. I can't just double that. I mean, it's hard enough to get anything. Anyway, I digress. I I faded that take, and I had my wife cut my hair this weekend. So. Yeah, you look great, man. She's done a cracking job. I mean, I may come in here bald one day. Kudos to the wifey. Just shave it off. Oh, yeah, that's it is tempting, huh? Yeah, but so far I like this. It just gets in the way. Shave it off Britney Spears style. Tell everybody that you got a problem. (laughs) Oh man, she was so hot for a while. You remember that "Oops, I Did It Again" video? Like, get out of here with that. How could anybody forget? Launched her entire career. My boy career. used to have this Jeep, and it had like these speakers. The thing used to bump. Like in South Florida, we got stupid with our cars, and like he comes in, like he used to play stuff like the Loonies and Bone Thugs and whatnot, and then he starts like bumping Britney Spears, and I was like, "What are you doing?" He was like, she's so hot, I can't help it. Backstreet's anyway, back. Anyway, that was after my Saraguasto years. <laughs> <laughs> Still hadn't touched a boob. Thanks, Kevin Kennedy. We, we got to move this conversation on somehow. <laughs> Do we? Do we? Still mad at him. Jake, you want to go? Yeah, I will. Um, so the Winchester Mystery House is this, uh, it's a tourist attraction in San Jose. And it, it came about from... The, the widow, actually, of the Winchester Rifle Company, um, he died of tuberculo- tuberculosis. They had a, a like an infant who died, and she thought she was cursed. And you have to understand like how rich she was based on this company that this guy founded. I that lever-action rifle, man, that was the gun that won the West. Yeah, so she was worth about $500 million of today's dollars. And another, she was getting like $9 million in dividends from the company a year. So she had she had a pretty good cash flow happening. Well, it's almost that Buffett money. Yeah, close, huh? No, not really. He would he pees that much. Yeah. So she um, she goes to a like a psychic, a medium who tells her that she's going to be forever haunted, 
uh, by all of the ghosts that were killed by the Winchester rifle, which at that point <laughs> were probably a lot of people, right? So she moves out west, moves to San Jose, buys this uh, property, and the the medium tells her as long as she like is continually adding to a, this house that like the ghosts will like leave her alone basically. So she starts building in 1884 and she just keeps adding to it and adding to it at all times. And eventually the thing's like seven stories tall. It's this monstrosity. Uh, earthquake happens and like a bunch of it falls over. Uh, so they rebuild it to like it's four stories today. Um, it's got 161 rooms. Uh, there's like all these doors and stairs that go to nowhere because it's not it's not designed by any kind of like central plan. It's just like, oh, well, let's add another room over here. Uh, 47 fireplaces, 10,000 glass panels. Uh, the thing is just like a monstrosity. Well, so she ends up dying in 1922. It gets auctioned off for like $135,000. And someone then turns it into a... Uh, into like a an oddity basically like come and check this thing out all right so kind of fun story but what does this have to do like what can we learn from this because you know I, I have to be the vegetables guy here um, this is what drives me crazy about things like GDP so she's adding to this house at all times and this is like GDP growth right like we're adding to GDP with every single one of these however what was the real value that was ever created for the average person because of this? It's it's like nothing, right? If those same materials could have been used to build a hundred different houses for people and produce much more value for society. All right. What does Sounds that mean? AT&T's network. <laughs> Charter. Anyway. Oh, boy. Now you're talking your own book. <laughs> so this is what drives me crazy about dipshits like Paul Krugman who say things like in 2011 that we need an alien invasion to come to get us all on the same page to get GDP GDP growing that is such a stupid comment like I, I can't even believe that there are Nobel prizes that aren't stripped when you say things like that if you have we figured this out in 1850 when Frederick Bastier wrote about the broken window fallacy that you can't just create something and it doesn't take away from something else right so we could create we could have scientists working around the clock on how to co counter an alien invasion but that's just things that they wouldn't be solving for like cancer or putting better roofs over our head or more food for everybody it's it boggles my mind that even today we still see that same kind of broken window fallacy coming out um so so think for a second about like guys like Buffett and Gates, where they have all of these claim checks that they've accumulated over their lifetime, and they're not building houses with 160 rooms in them. They're not building only their, or they're not having, a, you know, a thousand people come and paint their, their picture of them, right? Like they're putting that money towards trying to actually help most of humanity, uh, the people on the lower, lowest rung. It's such a beautiful sentiment to me that that they're really doing that. Yeah, he's giving us money to Gates. So he's outsourcing all that. I don't know that he's doing that. That makes sense. I love Buffett. Get, the, get the guy who's best at it to do it for you. Get the young guy who's energetic and super smart to do it for you, who's built out the infrastructure. It's a criticism right. of his that I understand. 
So I, I'm going to read a, a quote from Bastier in 1850. Okay, so this is not breaking news or anything. Society loses the value of things which are uselessly destroyed. To break, to spoil, to waste is not to encourage not uh, nat national labor. Destruction is not profit. Okay. I think a lot of people would be really well served. Do yourself a favor and pick up Henry Hazlitt's book, Economics in One Lesson. That will teach you everything that you I think you need to know uh, about where most of the the problems that we see with with economics uh, today typically and it was written I think in the 1950s so all right so comments there before I move on to part number two of what what we can learn from this house I would I guess go. no no I mean I think I understand what you're saying but I mean I also think that if you look at how much better life is today than it has been like i don't disagree that there are parts of gdp growth that are like oh what are we really chasing here but in aggregate we've done a pretty good job he's not disputing that what he's disputing is yeah. uh whether that is the measure that tells you that we've done it really well maybe it's a different measure maybe it's like gross wealth or something like that rather than gross domestic product or gross national product yeah, I mean, probably GDP per capita plus uh, some sort of measure of uh, the wealth gap, right? But is the problem is that for all of society, the problem is the the GDP is this aggregated measure that is muddy as hell, and it doesn't really tell you like the wealth of the nation, the capital of the nation is the thing that makes it that makes it wealthy, wealthy. because GDP, yeah. like if you to, like this is the this is the point that has that Hazlitt and Bastier Bastiat are making is that if you go and vaporize a city and then you rebuild the city, you're definitely poorer, but now your GDP is up because you've got to spend money that you've saved to uh, rebuild the city rather than sort of building new factories and creating new um, things, you know, new inventions, new businesses. Yeah, I mean, this is why I think that I don't buy the inflation argument. We just vaporized a lot of velocity, and then you're putting more money in, and you're saying inflation's on the come. I'm just not sure that's true. So I, I do understand the concept. Well, inflation uh, is the, the problem with inflation is that everybody thinks okay. it's CPI, and it's you know the the numbers are sandbagged, right? If you any any other measure, shadow stats, or if you use that, I, I never can never remember the name of the index, JT. You know what's that? Cottonwood. Or we should just like. <clears throat> yeah, it's something wood like index. that. It says that inflation's no. running. Something like that? What is it? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's not buttonwood. That's an economist. Uh... Cottonwood? Something like that. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But we, uh, if, you, if you use that, it says uh, they, they, they track the 500 items that people spend the most money on in each of the cities. Each fam the, the 500 items that most families spend the most money on in, in each city. And you can have a look at those numbers. Like they're running between 11 and 12% a year for the last five years. That probably matches most people's. That's what, that's what you spend the money on. That's what you... So it's not CPI. Inflation doesn't have to run through CPI. Inflation can run through asset prices. And I think we've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. There, there's an understatement. <laughs> All right. So the second thing to learn from this, this crazy house out in San Jose comes from this late 19th century economist whose name was Eugene von Braun Bawerk. And he, uh, he has this analogy that he calls the five sacks of grain. 
So picture a farmer, and he has five sacks of grain sitting in front of him. Now, with the first sack, he is using it to survive. Like, that's creating the bread that allows him to live. With the second sack, that's him thriving. Like, he's feeling good. Um, you know, like, it's it goes from just survival to, to full health. Um, the third one is he's feeding his farm animals with it. The fourth one is he's making whiskey out of it. And then the fifth one is he's feeding pigeons. Okay, so we have five sacks of of grain which if he gets one of his sacks stolen what does he do is he going to consume one-fifth as much eating one-fifth as much whiskey one-fifth as much uh far animals for his farm unlikely right it's going to be the pigeons like that's the thing that he values the least of these five sacks okay so sounds like GameStop. next <laughs> Man, that might actually be accurate. So I think what what the lesson here is that this house that was built in San Jose, at one point the value of it was determined by what this woman, like it was chasing ghosts away, right? And that was a certain value that was created by it. Then it gets auctioned off, and now there's this whole different use of it, which would be as a tourist attraction, right? Um Maybe at some point we they build something else in there, and that's like the, a different grain of sack that you could that you could use it for. What? So the value of anything is determined by based on what do we as humans get out of it? Like what is the means that are accomplished by it? So one of the things you can think about in your investing is if I had to stop doing whatever this set of assets, like what is the next best thing that I could do with this set of assets? That would be sort of the default, like the world changes. What is the new value of what these assets might trade for? Now, I think in Benjamin Graham's time, that was an easier uh, thing to come up with. And I think that the values were more more sturdy. There were more grains of sack or more uh, sacks of grain there. Today, when it's a lot of it is like IP and even just code, like that second grain or that second sack like is is pretty much empty, right? Like if you if that code can't be used for the exact purpose that it's being used for today, it's pretty much worthless. Right? So perhaps it's that our the disruptions in the world are much more severe now because the assets are they decay like from full value to zero because they're so specialized. Whereas before, you know, it was like Graham could go and look and see like, oh man, there's a, a bunch of track here. Well, we can take that rail track up and move it somewhere else where it needs to be. Uh, and those, you know, the molecules didn't disappear. Um, it still has value somewhere else in the economy. And I think that we've gotten so specialized now that that is not really as, as true as it used to be. So you would expect more booms and busts in your asset values potentially as the world changes around them. Yeah, I need to think about that a little bit because I, I would say that it's not necessarily, I mean, we have a lot more know-how, right, than we used to. And I use like know-how as a substitute for intellectual property, which is like everybody thinks that means brands or patents or design or copyright or something like that. Know-how is just like we know how to do, we know how to do stuff. Like there are lots of uh, businesses that are very specialized and good at doing things. Like I, a friend of mine has this, thing in Australia, they measure the hardness of rocks in, uh, in a mine. 
that's a great business. They make a lot of money doing that. Like they, they've got some specialized know-how from a university and they, they do this thing better than anybody else in the world, make a lot of money doing it. But how do you measure that? Like what's the, what's the alternative use of that? I mean, I don't really know. Like they, it's used in mining, obviously, because you want to know what kind of machine you need to bust up the rocks to feed whatever you're feeding into the machine. Like, do you need a really expensive one? Can you get away with a cheaper one? Yeah. So I, I think there's a, there are a lot of businesses out there, a lot of big businesses that have networks. I mean, what's the, the, the distribution network or the, uh, you know, doesn't have to be distribution, but just some sort of communications network, anything like that. I mean, those things are highly valuable and probably more valuable than it costs to stick them in the ground. You know, this, the cost to build a, a, a trench and stick in some cable is pretty low. It's pretty low end infrastructure, but the value of that link is huge. And it's probably real. Um, it's probably not not wrong that that trades for more than its book value. You know, that's probably sensible. So I think there's a lot of that. So I have a little bit, I probably need to think about that a little bit more uh, to, to fully understand the thrust of that idea. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think too, like, uh, I mean, when I was in, in studying physics, I did much better when I had examples with the concrete world. And then once we got into stuff like, uh, you know, like fields and magnetic fields, it was harder for me to conceptualize. But I came to realize, like, that was as true in the sort of non-physical world as the rules were in the physical world. And like a lot of these, uh, even though they're not rails, like Visa and MasterCard are the rails. And when people have tried to penetrate them, they more often than not ended up partnering. Or like, I mean, you know, I, I think of Match.com or that whole group. I mean, like they basically have a monopoly on people having sex. I guess you could try to create a scenario where other people are on like other apps, you know, having sex with other people that don't know about the cool app. But I'd rather own the one that has the direct line to the sex. There's a lot of apps today. though. And there's nothing to stop you creating a new app. Go try. Well, I mean, the I, end of lots the day, of people have you, done it. You want to bring the people, yeah, but you want to have the people that want to have sex with all the people. You don't want to create the app where you're like, "Hey, it's you, you and Joe Schmo," and you're going to be like right swiping on each but other. I think right? it's, that's just hard to. That's recreate. true. That's a good point. But but it, so, but we've done it before. Like it's every time there's a TikTok, like there's a TikTok version of Match coming. Maybe I mean I don't I don't disagree. I know that Scott Galloway thinks Peloton has a good inside you know, track to potentially launch a dating service. But I do think that there is there is something that I mean, that's what he said. But yeah. there is a real legitimate barrier that you have to get people to sign up for. And on something as base level as sex, I think that's a pretty good vertical to own. I would love a drug vertical if I could own that, too. I mean, I think historically drugs and sex legal or illegal have made a lot of money on. Uh, I don't honestly care as long as I can keep the money. <laughs> I mean, like if Pornhub <laughs> listed, you're telling me people wouldn't buy the IPO. They'd be insane not to. Yeah, yeah I, I know maybe... that I've diverted the conversation, but I'm just saying, like, I I'm using the analogy because, A, I think it's sort of entertaining, but, B, I think it's very real. And the network effects on something like that, I think, are easier to theoretically displace than to actually displace. There's an Equinox gym dating app, according to the Oracle Bruhaha you get on that you're just a loser well yeah but that's already like oracle gym like sorry equinox gym is already it's that's people like that's pretty high-end gym so you know they're going to be rich and you know they're going to be 
at least interested in getting healthy. Like that's probably a pretty good crowd. I guess you can go there. Feel free. What Sometimes you, I don't you're, want somebody. You're on the Peloton app. If I were a single person. Yeah, but I'm not there to date, dude. I'm there to lose my gut. So what's maybe is it? Um, I've wondered about this before with even just returns on capital, kind of quality as a as a metric of things to look at, but. You know, you have sort of the Berkshire world, which is, let's call it 10, maybe 15% return on capital, just chugging along every year, kind of unsexy. And then you have some of, I don't know, more like a Facebook or something where you just have these extreme, very, very high margin, high returns on capital. And, uh, well, especially if you, depends on how you count labor in there, but um, the, what you end up with, I think is almost more like if, if if information is the new oil, it almost seems like some of these are like the shale producers where it's like this huge gusher at the front end. But then if the next one that comes along, the next TikTok that comes along, good luck getting squeezing any money out no of this thing after. Way. You guys are saying this. These things are exploding right now. Like even with TikTok's growth, engagement on all these platforms are growing like crazy. So where's I don't just dis- then? Okay, that's your example, but you're talking about the example from like 15 years ago, man. I mean, MySpace didn't have the scale that that Facebook had. I'm not long the stock. I was. I should be. I think it's cheap. I just fundamentally can't partner with Zuckerberg because I don't like what he's doing to society, and I should get it out of my head, and I should just buy it. I think that's cheap. I mean, I just – I think that – the theoretical ability for these things to go away is a lot easier than it's actually proving to be. And I don't disagree. It's a risk that you have to watch, but I mean, these businesses are incredible and they're just proving it. And right now when all these asset heavy, protectable businesses are out there getting crushed, these like theoretically fragile ones are proving how strong they are. I think it's hard to deny that. Like, would you rather on Facebook I mean, right now or an airline? Well, there's some good commentary coming through that that sort of addresses this. Uh, to, right. to Jake's point, uh, if someone, Brian McCann, if someone did penetrate dating to Jake's point, the assets of Match are worthless. Worthless. They cannot be repurposed. And it's true for, uh, you know, Correct. MySpace uh, and so on. I think maybe that's the maybe that's the, the thrust. GeoCities, Yahoo, uh, AOL. There's lots of good, yes, lots of good examples here is the person that did it so yeah i do agree that in theory it's possible that somebody can displace google and i think you got to watch that but you know i mean i think google be the hardest one to displace well is that that much different than owning some real estate and somebody tries to overbuild you and then you you like try to flex your competitive position i i just i think that this stuff's much much easier to to theoretically displace than reality. I, I believe that network effects are pretty strong. I, I think it's hard for any individual to displace. I think it's much easier for the to bet on the someone from the crowd figuring out how to displace them. So like you, to your point, to your question before, like why don't I go build one? You know, I, I, I don't have any of the skills to do that, but I'll bet you there's some kid coming through who's like, this is what's wrong with all these dating apps. This is why they don't understand the current crop of kids coming through. And I will get something out there and it'll just like be this flanking maneuver that just takes their head off and they'll get something through some way and win. Like that's that's the way 
Facebook got in 100%. there. 100%. It's possible, dude. Look at what Snap... I mean, everybody thought Snapchat might do that. And these Doesn't companies have the virality. just get stronger and stronger. I get it. So it's not that easy. Tick, I mean, but here's TikTok. Here's TikTok. Successful... TikTok okay. is just fine. I mean, yeah. It's a, it's a product that is capturing some attention. I don't disagree with that. We'll see, you know, whether or not Facebook's gone in 15 years. I bet it's still around. I don't think it's going to go. I just... I just... You, the, you, the the money goes where the attention goes, and the, the the most of the attention is used by the kids, and the kids have no loyalty. They don't want to be on the same platform as the as the olds are. So I think they they're the ones who roll off really quickly. That's why TikTok exploded. Like Instagram's probably still the standard. It's probably not Facebook. It's probably Instagram, but Facebook and Instagram, I'm aware. TikTok comes through, might be eating Instagram's uh, lunch. It may. And when I don't you, think it's when the next easy. one comes, though, it's a long way down from the current sack of grain. That's, I think, what I'm trying to say. Like the next yeah. best use is like it's it's zero. Here's here's what I would say. I would say that I bet that if you and I had this conversation at any time over the last six years, we would have had the same conversation. And I, I probably would have agreed. And now I've completely flipped because I can only watch something go on for so long before I realize like maybe it is more durable than I thought. And maybe that's a great sign that, you know, the whale will die. But uh, for now, it just seems to get stronger. Did you have a MySpace account? I didn't. I did have AOL, though. Six degrees? 58, or maybe it was 56. What number was Derek Thomas? Anyway, I think it was 58. (laughs) Anyway, I just, I, I think, I think it's much easier to say than to do. We're going to run out of time here. Uh, but do, do, do you have more? That's fair. Do you have more? We con- can go long. More JT. Who cares if we go long? No, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, the- I just, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, you could say it about any business. Why is Coke still around? Like, can't you just create another soft drink? Like, why is? I, but these things endure. Uh, and pattern and human behavior is hard to disrupt. Well, I think that so the we'll only see. way they're going to hold on is to do what Coke has done and to buy lots of other things that they can use their distribution network to keep going because people definitely aren't drinking as much Coke as they used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think they are, right? I mean, they flex their competitive positions. Shout out to Topo Chico. <laughs> yeah, too, Topo too many Chico. bubbles. Do you, want to, do you want to do yours, Bill? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I so I've talked to people, and I guess that they've seen my tweets, and they think that I'm more bearish than uh than otherwise, uh, or than I appear on the pod. Um, I mean, you know, I, I I am I am pretty optimistic on the stock market. Uh, generally, with all of this monetary and fiscal policy, I can make a pretty compelling case, I think, for it going up a lot. Brr. And the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I was doing yeah. that. No, that's right. And and I mean, like, look, the the opportunity cost, if that scenario plays out, if you're on the sidelines, I think is going to be massive because then if you want exposure down the road, you got to buy quite a bit higher. Um, now, I don't have a huge degree of confidence in that prediction, right? So, I mean, I, I have 30% cash, uh, 
now if I if it was you know like I was certain I was going to make money I wouldn't be carrying that right so I'm like somewhat defensively positioned that's not a market call that's like how I run my life because I want to be able to you know god forbid I need it to survive right so it's more of like a retail or an asset allocation discussion um but like as far as you know how how like balls to the wall in I am on a vaccine and how we're going to go with the second wave. Like, I mean, I'm looking at maybe renting a property in a small beach town in Vero next year and renting out my house in Chicago. Cause I don't think we're going to have school next year. So, uh, I don't exactly like, I'm not, you know, overly joyed bullish. Uh, I'm also not overly bearish. I think that there's a lot of merit to both arguments, but, that's how I'm hedging my life in my portfolio right now, you know, and within the portfolio, it's high quality stuff or it's like what I perceive to be really high quality in travel or something airline aerospace related. That's just gotten the shit kicked out of it. Um, but that's, that's more or less how I'm betting. I don't, uh, I don't come off overly bullish or bearish, but I think, I, I mean, I think if you listen to what Buffett said, like the range of outcomes is super wide and I, I just think if uh, for myself, if I'm not prepared for it, it's bound to cause big behavioral problems. So that's uh, that's where my mind's at this week. We'll see where it goes next week. But I, I had uh, nice conversations over the past week. And, and one of the takeaways was I'm trying to get the portfolio where I'm not like that dependent on the virus's path. And I'm trying to do the same thing with my life. I mean, if I if I end up renting this house down here, the worst case scenario, you know, I guess like I look like an idiot and I live close to my grandma who's 91 for a year. And then I go back to Chicago and people say, hey, remember when you freaked out? Like that's no down. <laughs> that's like no downside. So the upside downside skew out of a decision like that, I think, like is massively skewed to the upside. I'm just trying to put myself in those positions all over because I I am pretty worried that we are fumbling or there's a reasonable possibility that we fumble. And if we fumble the rollout, I mean, then everything that is optimistic right now, like I said, the market wants to go up. That's on hope. I mean, I, I think if this thing like falters and God forbid we have to shut down again, if hope disappears, it's. It's going to get ugly. What do you think about right. Sweden, which hasn't really done anything and they seem to be tracking okay? And the places in the States I that have opened up seem to be tell, doing okay. Can we tell Google right now that we are not a conspiracy theory well, we're podcast? Not, but just don't say the word. Don't down. say the word. I'm just, I'm Demonetized. just telling, Let's just talk about it without saying Damn. the word. I need a Twizzler. Come on, Google. Coronavirus. Yeah. No, I, look, I, don't, I mean... I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. Uh, that doesn't hold anybody else I, back. <laughs> yeah, that's irrelevant. No, I think that there are a lot of experts that are saying, be careful. Okay, so I can either say I know better than all of them and, and like just not adjust my life or I can pay some attention to what they're saying and say, okay, well, I could hedge my life in this way. And I will tell you the other thing is I don't think that your question necessarily matters because you have to layer on the political response to whatever the data is. And that really complicates things. I mean, I think that's part of why Buffett's so cautious is 
I don't think that you can just have a logical conclusion right here. You also have to layer on politics and you also have to layer on what an election year can do. And I just think for me, I live near Chicago. If, uh, if that city has an outbreak, I'm going to be under the same rules given the teachers unions, the city politics and the state politics. I don't see how we don't shut down. Hopefully I'm wrong. I'm not trying to live there to test my thesis. So, you know, I, I think I hope Sweden comes through it OK and I, I hope fine. we get a vaccine re- relatively soon. Right. I think but, I think we're going to be OK. And I still think the stock market's pretty risky at the moment. It may be. I just think, you know, I think we go a lot higher before we go lower if nothing bad. happens. I don't know. I've got no idea at all. Uh, should we should we throw it over to some questions? I got uh, there's a couple of good ones here. We haven't discussed got uh Buffett punching out of Goldman Sachs. Anybody got any thoughts on that? That's really really. bullish, right? (laughs) Goldman kind of, I mean, is Goldman Goldman anymore? Like for real? What what do you mean by like best of breed? I don't know. They're building out like a commercial bank. Yeah. Like they're trying to become something they're not. JP Morgan's taken a lot of share from the investment bank. Like, I know that they still get talent, but I, I don't know. Do recent graduates look at Goldman and say, boy, that's yeah, where I, I really so. want to go? I would or, guess that that's still top yeah. of the list. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Don't be a Muppet. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, don't, I, mean, I, don't have, I don't study Goldman, so this opinion is worthless. But I do, like, when you look at him buying into J.P. Morgan and Bank of America – I think he's probably looking for his perception of cleaner and stronger organizations. And I'm just not sure Goldman's that anymore. So I've got another good question here. Um, Bailey Giffords. If he sold Bank of America, I'd worry, like for real, because he's been buying that in size. That would be like, I think it'd tell. Do you hold it? No. I do. I wouldn't sell if he sold. I didn't sell Southwest because he sold. I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not saying that I would sell it. I'm saying that that would be that would that would seem to mean more to me than him selling Goldman. But you know, maybe I'm wrong. So, I got a good question here. Bailey Giffords, James Anderson, manager of Scottish Mortgage Trusts, uh, wrote a letter saying that Buffett's uh, hold on the investment community was a tragedy as it drove investors away from growth and tech. I think that that's probably true. I don't. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a tragedy, but I would certainly say that Buffett sort of not considering tech certainly made that a place where a lot of value investors just didn't look for a long time. Yeah, it cost me a shit ton, but he didn't cost it me. I mean, he didn't cost me money. I did, right? I mean, that's not on him. Uh, but yeah, if if he was not in my ear, I would have bought Apple for sure in at least 2011 after the iPod changed my life, 100%. But I was just telling myself, you can't tell what's coming in tech. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And probably for six years, I told myself that. And that was really, really, really stupid. But that's not his fault. I guess everyone knows how it's going to play out now with all those companies, huh? Well, I think it's pretty clear that buying Apple nine years ago would have been a good decision. Yeah, it was pretty cheap then, too. Or Google. That wasn't a a particularly contrarian idea when it was at like 10 10 PE. Google, too. Google got pretty cheap a few years ago when you backed out the cash it was it was i can't remember exactly but it was it was within value 
hitting distance. And they mentioned it at the meeting a couple of years ago where he said they knew that Geico was paying whatever it was, $15 a click for the for the insurance. And he said, we could have, we could have done it. Then we just, just whiffed on it. I mean, you know, my beloved Splunk rest in peace. Uh, but you know, like, uh, I think that that game in, in a similar way that playing the value game is choosing the businesses that are not just total shit, right. Unless you're betting on the factor, I think that the tech game is too. I think you're playing with fire if you don't know what you're doing. But I, I also think it is true that a lot of value investors remain blind to what created a lot of wealth for a lot of people because they prayed at the altar of Buffett. And that's like honestly our fault. It's not his. He's never said you got to do what I do. It's not thinking for yourself, which in my mind is fundamentally not listening to him. 100%. It's like a finger pointing at the moon. Don't stare at the finger or you'll miss all the heavenly glory. Something like that. Bang. Oh, yeah. That's not me. That's, uh, oh, God, I can't remember. Uh, not Jackie Chen. Oh, my God. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Wise man, Bruce Lee. Jackie Chen. He's, Jesus I know. Christ. Sorry. <laughs> uh, good question here. What? Do- I mean, I think... Th- I just just real quick. I mean, I think this is this is the danger that I that I see when there are and I I mean, I don't know how else you learn, but I do think that like going through 13 F's and putting these guys on pedestals and not realizing that your own work and good work is just as worthy as some thesis you read anywhere. Like, I don't care where it is. Like once you can get to that point of investment where you're like, this is what I think and this is how I'm going to bet then you are an investor. If you're looking at other saying, people, I uh, think you're sort of a halfway crook. It's, uh, you know, don't seek what they found, seek what they sought. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I like that. Okay. Here's a question. Yeah. Why Man, do you think small caps... get smart right now. Dude, the crowd is smart. I wish I could... I wish I could... Because uh, i got to keep these questions up on the... Otherwise, I'll forget the questions. But there's some good comments. It, the crowd knows the answer to all these questions as we're going through. It's great. <laughs> Why do you think small caps and growth have been doing so much better when the global economic backdrop is so horrible? Doing uh, better? Off the top of my head, I would say growth makes sense because when discount rates go down, you're, you don't have as much of a cost to wait. Uh, small caps probably have a more U.S. centric focus, and I would not want to touch EM right now. So, if I had to bet, that would be why. I think the U.S. is in much, much better shape than most countries right now. Much better. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that that's I true. Wanna have to... Well, let's watch over the next couple of years. I would not have to pay back debt and not your own currency. I mean, I think we'll have problems. Lots of countries borrowing their own currency. Are more manageable. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Lots of, I mean, Australia has had virtually no cases, borrows in its own currency. Nowhere near the, the government yeah. debt. I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind Australia. I was looking at Sydney Airport, thanks to one of the listeners. Uh, and I, yeah, I think Australia makes sense. The problem is down there, you're, you're like listed companies. You're upside Sorry, down. Sorry, Australians. That's the big They're problem. kind of... <laughs> kind of junky right i well, mean you got like a lot of commodity stuff and that's the problem for like the u.s is unique in the fact that it creates so many of these consumer discretionary consumer staples tech businesses like that just doesn't happen anywhere else in the world that's the huge advantage of the u.s 
I, th- I, I don't know we're talking specifically about the stock market. I just meant generally. I mean, I think that there's an enormous amount of money that's been pushed out here. There's a lot of debt. Uh, there's a little bit of damage to the economy from all of this stuff. I don't know that I, I just can't handicap who's better or who's worse at this stage. I, I, I'm just a little bit nervous about there's you know Asia, Europe, the US, Africa. Like there's some. I, it's just hard to say. It's hard to say who's going to go the best, and you're paying the high the higher prices here. So I just maybe not. Maybe adjusted for sectors and a few other things, it all works out. I just I just don't know. I, I can't I can't hold it all in my head to figure it out. Yeah, I would just say I'm glad I live here. I don't know about which stock market will perform the best, but I'm more comfortable. Like I'm, I'm really grateful that I'm here. I hope our worldwide <laughs> listeners are are safe too. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Um, but like I, I, I don't know. South America, man, that it was bad before. Like I feel really bad for some of these countries. I, I hope. I hope this isn't what I fear it is for for the world, but I, I fear it's going to be really, really hard to restart. Do you guys have any thoughts on the tankers? The tanker trade's been doing the kind of lap on. Cuppy has been pushing the tanker trade, and I've seen there's a whole lot of guys been in it. And I gather that it's now been kind of busted up. I'm not in it. I don't play that stuff. I've done that stuff so many times and lost so much money trading those junky things. Unless you're an expert in it, don't touch it. I'm not an expert in it, so I just leave it alone. I like cash flows. I don't like to buy stuff and try to figure out what it's going to be worth when it starts cash flowing, whether you're going to be even holding it because it's going to be falling through to the debt guys, the secured debt guys. It's just too hard. Hats off to anybody who can do it. I mean, I looked at it. I looked at it and I said, can I play this cycle better than the pros? No. And then I thought, do I think that the tankers, let's say they make a lot of cash flow this year, do I think that they're going to distribute the cash to me? And I didn't know, and then I was just like, "All right, there's better places." But I like the shipping man on Twitter. Shout yeah, out to him. I love those accounts. <laughs> I yeah, like following. I, mean, I like watching. I don't want to play it. You any thoughts, yeah, well, JT? We're all trying to play a similar game. Um, there's a right price for everything. I just don't know if it's if it's there yet. I've done okay in that in years past when you were buying for like sub scrap value. Um, but it's like a once every 20, 25 year kind of thing where it kind of all the stars align and those kind of, those kind of, uh, industries though, you know, the cyclicality of them and the, the long lead times, what they call cobweb effects in, in economics where like the supply and demand, the price, because it takes so long to get the next supply online you get these weird price movements and you get huge booms and busts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the demand also is not as, it'll just fall off of cliff and then come back like crazy strong. So it's, it leads to some really wild outcomes. Uh, so you can make a lot of money, but you can also lose a lot too. So you have to be really careful with those, I think. Well, and isn't there like something, some regulatory issue where they're not buying new, sh- new ships. So like there's almost like an embedded, uh, lag in it or whatever i don't know the one i might play is airlines when i think the time's right i mean that's the capital cycle theory that i think i could actually out trade people in uh because i just know it um shipping i don't know like i know airlines you mean like boeing or do you mean like the airlines no i think if we get to october 
and United really lays off 30% of their pilots and retires a bunch of planes, and Boeing is going to have to lay off people in the supply chain. I don't think that ramping up that supply chain is going to occur as quickly as demand may come back. And I think you could see like a real seat shortage for a little while. And you've got a bunch of NOLs after this. I think you could see airlines print some pretty big numbers on the back end of this. I just don't know when those numbers start. Got to survive too from here first. Yeah. As, as an equity holder. Do you think, do you yeah, think they're right. going to let them go under? Do you think that? Yeah. Well, what, is there a difference between like getting crammed down big time as an equity holder by government warrants? Or... I just, I just wonder if they feel some responsibility for like shutting it all down. They say, well, we're just not going to let, just not going to wipe everybody out. Well, I think that's sort of what the payment, like, I mean, that was sort of what the payment protection loan was, and they got the below market loan, and yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, government, if you're listening, like, fuck American. Don't, but the problem I, is, if you I, if you if you let them go, then they reemerge clean from bankruptcy, and all of a sudden everybody's going to compete with them, and that's going to just create that. Uh, you broke the oligopoly. Basically. Yeah, it's going to that that'll have knock on effects for everybody else for for a long time. I, I got a good question on uh, Michael Burry uh, in GameStop. I mean, it, he's in GameStop and he's in Tailored and he's in he might even be in Boeing too. I think I saw that somewhere. He hit a home run on Jack in the Box. I don't know if that Recently? makes up for anything. Yeah, I think he like 4X'd in under a month. Woof. It, but, I mean, come on. He's like minus 75% in GameStop. So, I don't know on a blended base. Everyone is, aren't they? Like, I mean. I don't know. I, I haven't. I just GameStop, don't follow that closely. GameStop's the old, uh, you know, buy it down 80, lose half. <laughs> yeah. So what's the question? Uh, any takes on Michael Burry and GameStop or Tailored? Yeah, here's my take. That guy is so much smarter than me, and he's even having a hard time playing that game. So why am I going to? I and know he, I wouldn't want to be also, on the other side of him. Also, Tailored Brands, like walk into a men's warehouse, really think about whether or not you want to own that. Like, hey, he could beat me. That's not my game. I the, I've I've heard a lot of pitches for Tailored. There's a lot of people who like Tailored. I bet none of them wear suits and they're all working from home. <laughs> well, everybody's working from home. Yeah, that just described 100% of the population. I just bought a suit yeah, from but... J Crew, 163 bucks. Boom. I just did you? as soon as they as soon as they did their bankruptcy announcement, Why? I went to the cuz I I like their suits and I have to wear one like once a year or something like that, so I, every time I my my single yearly trip to New York to go and do some Bloomberg. I put a, put on my suit once. I want yeah, to look good. And for 163 bucks. Men's, could have bought one from Matt's Warehouse and gotten five free. Could have gotten 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but none of them look good and I only need one. I mean, here's the thing that I can't... And it's because I haven't done the work. And if you're long, just accept that I'm wrong and I know less than you, okay? But like GameStop... I. I guess in theory you can get one more console cycle and then the CEO can decide to give you all the money back. I, is that, I mean, where the world is going? It's going to turn really into Starbucks that, for, for dudes who, who play games. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't think that's actually a bad strategy. I think that that's, uh, that's how I would play the card I was dealt to, but I think you're playing like a 3-8 offsuit. It may They're not be a 2-7. 
ten two, baby. A a gamer dating app. You didn't hear that? Are they? <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll prove how hard it is to launch. <laughs> On that note, that's Those time, amigos. Matches anyway. You guys want to say goodbye? We're over time. No, I'm Hi, sorry. I made all the value crowd mad. I will but, go. I will go. I will stay in the closet all day. That was fun. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next, see you next time. Week. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13. Sing one, two, three, four. Cause, cause, cause. No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause